Amen. Look at verse 37 tonight, please. It's our text. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The events of our text took place on one of the greatest days, perhaps the greatest ever day in the history of the world. It's an event that was known and is known as the beginning of the New Testament church. Ten days earlier, just a little period of time beforehand, uh, the Lord Jesus had ascended back into heaven. He had come, he- come from heaven, of course, some 33 years beforehand, lived among us, beheld his glory, said the apostle, and then he went back to heaven again after his resurrection. And he told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem and to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And so they met together in an upper room, just about 120 of them, laying hold upon God, praying fervently that this promise would be fulfilled. And the events here in Acts chapter 2, had we read the whole chapter, would, would show to you how that their prayers were answered. The Spirit of God came down in mighty power, and by the close of the day, the going down of the sun, some 3,000 souls were converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what we're aiming at tonight in this gospel meeting. And indeed in every gospel meeting, we're aiming at conversions. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 18 verse 3. He said, except ye be converted, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. And when we speak about conversions, we're not talking about getting out from one religion into another, or swapping denominations, becoming a free Presbyterian. But no, we're talking about being converted, turning from sin, coming to Christ. Because Peter said later on in the book of Acts, concerning the Lord Jesus, neither is there salvation in any other name. Let's look at our text tonight. There's just a number of thoughts that we want to convey to you. The first thing that we want to look at here, number one, as we look at verse 37, is what these people heard. What they heard. It says there in the opening part of the text, when they heard. And we know that they they heard three things, basically. If you analyse the words of Peter then, it, it divides up nicely into a threefold division. First of all, they got an explanation of what was happening. These were men who went out in the early hours, not the early hours of the morning in the sense that it was still at night, but relatively early in the day, in the the a.m. period of the day. And they began to speak with our tongues and preach the word of God. And some people were looking on and they raised the cry that these men were drunk. These men were drunk. It was a very strange thing that happened. And they came to the conclusion that the apostles had been meeting together. They were drinking alcohol, drinking wine. And now they were drunk. 
And this was spilling out onto the streets. So it failed to Peter, first of all, to put that right and say, No, we are not drunk. And we have that there in verses uh, 13, uh, right through it. You know, they were silencing the doubts of these people and setting straight the record. That was the first thing they had to do. It's a, really a comment in human nature that they had to start off negatively. But then they turned immediately to the, the, to the positive. They just weren't on the defensive here. They went, as it were, uh, aggressively on the attack. And they stated positively what was happening. And they explained that this was the promised outpouring of the Spirit of God. And in order to root their experience and to prove it was of God, and that's always an important thing, they were able to turn to the Old Testament to the book of Joel and the chapter 2, how that this was promised and that everything was going according to plan. So the first thing that these people heard is that they heard an explanation that God, as it were, had come into that part of the world at that time and had poured out mightily the Spirit of God. And then not only did they hear the explanation of what was happening, but they heard the gospel. Because Peter had the heart of an evangelist. And whenever he saw a crowd that was gathered, invariably, we, we can trace this right through Acts, he would preach the word of God. And he preached to these people how God had sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. How that the Lord coming into the world as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, had been authenticated in his ministry by many miracles. These are things that these people, many of them, would have witnessed in the previous months and weeks. How God also had purposed that Christ would die upon the cross for our sins. Always remember that's at the very heart of the gospel. We preach not ourselves, says the apostle. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach him crucified. We make much of the cross. We sing that little hymn, do we not? Jesus, keep me near the cross. It's our great hymn for the preacher. Keep near the cross in the preaching. Because it's at the very heart of the gospel. And how that he not only died upon the cross for our sins, that just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, but that God had raised him from the dead. And the significance of that, raising him from the dead, is that Christ really did pay the great debt in full. And that the Lord Jesus, having risen from the dead, we know how he moved among his own people, away from the public eye for 40 days, Ten days earlier than the sermon here, he ascended back up into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God. And he hath been proclaimed, as we have read there, both Lord and Christ. They heard an explanation of the happening. They heard the gospel, but they also heard a very serious indictment. Verse 36, that's where we took up our reading. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, note here the indictment, whom 
ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. We can safely say that Peter was not a modern type preacher. He was not one who would studiously avoid unwelcome truths. Oh, I say tonight, run a hundred miles from such a preacher. We need to know the truth because it's only the truth, whether it's palatable or not, whether we receive it or not, whether it's welcome or not, it's the truth and the truth alone that sets men free. And he pointed out, he pointed out on two occasions how his listeners were guilty of the blood of the Son of God. If you go back there to verse 23, he says concerning the Lord Jesus, him being delivered by the determinate counsel, note those big words, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye, ye have taken and by wicked hands. Oh, there's the indictment going on. on, on the, there's the charges on the sheet. With wicked hands ye have crucified and slain. And again, verse 36, in his application, whom ye have crucified. You see, God keeps a record. God keeps a record of your sins. Perhaps no human eyes have witnessed your sins. Well, they've been engaged in far away from public years and no one knows. But remember what the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This is what they heard. And then notice here as we move on, we have secondly what they felt, what they felt. Because the scripture says when they had heard this, that is, this indictment against them, they were pricked in their heart. You see, a heart that is hard and feels no pricking, no piercing, is in a bad way. There's great danger when you sit in meetings and the heart's hard and there's no movement at all, no pangs of guilt. Scripture says, he that being often reproved, often reproved, he hardens his neck. The same idea is the hardening of the heart. He says, that man shall suddenly be destroyed and not without remedy. And you ought to be thankful when you sit in meetings and you're moved, when you feel a little uncomfortable, when, when things are pointed out that may be unpalatable to your ears and you squirm maybe just a little bit. Well, you ought to be you ought to be very thankful for that because that's God still moving with you. The worst thing that you can ever experience is to be gospel-hardened and sit in meetings, meeting after meeting, and hear the most piercing of sermons or the most moving of sermons and not to be moved and not to respond in any way to them. There are three things, again, that all work together to produce this pricked heart. The first thing that we notice here is that these men had a conscience. The conscience of man. Someone has described the conscience as God's whistleblower. God's whistleblower. God's inside man in your heart. Remember tonight, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. God searches the heart. God weighs the heart. You just cannot phobe 
God off with the idea that he's going to go away. And I say this night, listen to your conscience. If it's speaking to you, your conscience in this matter is your friend. Listen to your conscience in relation to sin and the gospel. Because if you ignore your conscience, you're in a very dangerous place. It's your friend in these matters. They heard their conscience. Of course, there was something else but used this, and that was the Bible, the Word of God, the light unto our path, the lamp unto our feet, the entrance of which bringeth light. The Bible says the Word of God is a two-edged sword, a two-edged sword, the story of the cross. And this is what Peter had been preaching and explaining to them. The story of the cross is designed to disturb the heart. You see, the great physician must wound before he can heal it. And this story of Christ crucified, dying on the cross for our sins, dying for the, dying for the ungodly and for the guilty, shows us that we are guilty, helpless sinners. It shows us here, it's the ultimate proof, that if we could save ourselves by any method, then God would not have delivered up his son. He would not have put him on the cross. He would not have forsaken him during that period of great darkness. And the Son of God would not have cried out and said, My God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, add to the conscience here the word of God. And then there was something else. The convicting power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was specifically sent by the Saviour to convince the world and convict men and women, yes, boys and girls, of their sins. It's the Spirit moving in the meeting that we want to see what we ought to pray for. The opening up of the heart, the disturbing of the sinner, the bringing to light, the hidden things of darkness, whereby he, he comes to that place that he knows that he's lost and he needs a saviour. And these three components were evidently present and in great power on that great day so long ago. And again, how vital it is that it should be so if the soul is to be saved. The Bible says, Hell hath opened wide her mouth without measure. And these three components, the conscience of man, the Bible, the work of the Spirit of God, are three great barricades on hell's broad road. A man has to clamber all over them in order to be lost. But to be saved tonight. You have to take, as these men did, the sinner's place. You see, this is the very heart of the gospel, isn't it? This faithful saying, this saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the sinner, to save sinners. Man, man has been passing the blame ever since the Garden of Eden. You learn so much. And the Mr. Ham called his great ministry Answers in Genesis. There's so much there, even in those opening chapters. Man passing the blame. Man, he blamed his wife. She blamed the serpent. as a fatal mistake to make. I say tonight, don't write yourself out of the will. Out of the will. You remember the Lord Jesus? 
he said at that first communion feast, when he left his legacy, what did he say? This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. For what? The remission, the forgiveness, the pardoning of sins. But if you won't take the sinner's place, if you won't put the hands up as it were and say, yes, I'm the guilty one. I'm the sinner Jesus came to save. Then you exclude yourself from the work of the cross. These men were pricked in their heart. That's what they felt. Notice here, thirdly, moving on quickly, what they said. What did they say? Well, being hearing these words, the explanation, and then, of course, the gospel and the accusation, they were pricked in their hearts, their conscience at work, and so on. They said to Peter and to the apostles, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They identified very sympathetically with these Bible preachers, men and brethren, didn't run them off as upsetters of the peace, as troublemakers, that's often been the lot. When they're a little town and you preach the word of God and out comes somebody, you're disturbing the peace. And it's not just because you have open air equipment. No, you're preaching something people don't want to hear. And then all of a sudden you become the troublemaker. The troublemaker. But these men were not like this because the Lord was at work. And they saw Peter and the rest of the apostles as friends who had come and loved to help them. And here are people who would forever thank God that he sent these apostles onto their path. And I put to you tonight that the faithful gospel preacher is at heart your friend. You might hear things you don't want to hear. You might be a little uncomfortable in his presence, convicted perhaps. But the faithful gospel preacher at the last will prove to be your friend. Oh, they recognized here their own responsibility in this matter. Their own responsibility in this matter. You cannot save yourself. You cannot contribute to your salvation one iota. You say, what about my good works? The Bible says, listen to this, your righteousnesses. Not merely your sins, you would understand this. No, your righteousnesses are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. You're a bankrupt sinner tonight, but you can echo these words as to the way of salvation. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Later on there was another man in similar circumstances. That is, he had heard the gospel and he had been shook up, convicted of a sin. And he said... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, the things cannot remain as they are without great loss. The loss of a soul cannot be recovered. Other things you might lose, get it back again. Go into business, lose your business. Times are hard, the Christ comes. Lost thousands, tens of thousands. You could lose your business. You could start from scratch and get it back again. You could lose your health and be nursed back to health again. A lot of things you can lose. You could get it back. But the Bible says if you lose your soul, then you cannot get it back. As the tree falls, so shall it die. As a man lives, so shall he die. As a man dies, so shall he be. 
throughout the years of eternity. The loss of a soul cannot be recovered. The time then is now. Now to do something about it. I say don't go with the flow. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there be that find it. Your soul is stained by sin tonight. The law of God. The law of God is pure and holy. There's nothing uh, excessive about the law of God. It's perfect in all its ways. And the law of God condemns you. That's why there's conscience working tonight. Conscience is crying out. The Spirit of God is striving and he's convicting you. That's why the Bible says it is time. It is time to seek the Lord. Fourthly here we look at the passage again, the text, what they received. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They asked for counsel. They asked for gospel advice. They asked for directions. And they certainly received it. They needed scriptural counsel tonight. They needed to know what the Bible says. I say don't look anywhere else. Don't look anywhere else. The world has its quack remedies. The false religions have their quack preachers. Not going to do any good. Crying peace, peace. When there is no peace they have but healed. Says the prophet. The hurt of my people slightly. It's not working. No, you need to, you need something more than that. You sinned against God. Therefore, look to him and his word and see how you can be reconciled to him again. Look to the word of him, whom the Bible says made peace by the blood of his cross. Listen to what Peter wrote later on in his great epistle. He says, uh, The word of the Lord endureth forever, he said. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Stand on solid ground tonight. Stand on the word of him who cannot lie. Because the words that he speaks are spirit and they are life. They needed scriptural counsel. They needed solid counsel. The Bible says the redemption of the soul is precious. We must rightly divide the word of truth. We need to get to the heart of the matter and answer the sinner's plea for help. That's what Peter did here. He's a man filled with the Spirit of God. And they needed simple counsel tonight. Very easy. Maybe a preacher finds it easier than ours to complicate things. Complicate it. And yet there's nothing complicated about the gospel. I quoted the verse earlier. It shows how simple it is. Except you be converted and become as a little child. It should really be simple. God does not save theologians. He doesn't save doctors of divinities. divinity. He saves sinners. It's sinners Jesus will receive. And these men were pointed to the need to repent. That's what the scripture says. Repent. To confess their Lord. Christ as Lord and Saviour. Oh tonight you cannot have your sin in Christ. You can't have it. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says. Seek the Lord while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Then these words appear. Let the wicked 
forsake his way, the unrighteous man of thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. For he will have mercy upon him and call upon our God, for he will have mercy upon him. They give the evidence here of saving faith in Christ, that they had that they had done this, because the Bible says they were baptized. They were baptized as believers. They had come to the Saviour. It says too, they remained steadfast in the faith. Time always tells whether a conversion is genuine. And they remained in fellowship with the other saints. Just not that they went along and were seen in the pews, but they identified they were in fellowship. They were one in Christ Jesus. If you want to be pragmatic tonight, the Bible says there were 3,000 people believed and there were 3,000 people saved. And I can say this works. This works. Read the book of Acts. It's an exciting book to read. Go from chapter to chapter. Soon they moved out of Jerusalem. Great missionary work began. They were scattered because of persecution. And out they went. The apostle Paul converted sovereign grace or sin abounding. And the gospel began to spread. God loved the world of sinners lost. And ruined by the fall. And wherever this gospel went, hearts were changed. We can say this works. Read Christian history. Read the great revivals, the Reformation. Look around you. Look around you. Ulster is dotted with evangelical churches. Not only our sister congregations, but ours. Who at this very hour, and this night, will be preaching the, the same gospel as is proclaimed. Look around at people you know who profess faith. It works for them. And I can say tonight in the authority of God's word, it'll work for you. It'll work for you. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, there's nothing too hard. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. But you need to repent. You need to repent. We preached earlier today not great text from Numbers 10. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. Pointed out the obvious. Pointed out the obvious. That nobody, first of all, God's people, I want to preach this again, but God's people are going somewhere. Come thou with us. Going to heaven, we're going to glory. Second point was this it's not automatic. Hobab had to be invited. And he made it clear he wasn't going to go. There's nothing automatic about this. You need to come individually to Christ. Come thou with us. And we will do thee good. But it's not us as a church. All we can do is point. And once again in this church we point to the Lamb of God. Behold a Lamb. See one hanging on the cross. An agony and blood. Spectacle of woe. Look on to him. See what he did for sinners. Come to the place whereby, by faith you can say, the Son of God, he loved me, and he gave himself for me. Is there one unsaved among us tonight? Very definition, you've never come to Christ. You might be religious and all those nice things. 
good as far as it goes, but it'll leave you high and dry at the last. Because the Lord Jesus said, except the man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That was spoken not only to a religious man, that was spoken to a religious leader. And if Nicodemus needed to be born again, then you can be sure that you need to as well. Let's bow our heads, please, in prayer.